0: To the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast, we exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Thank you, Ms. We desire to be a multicultural church, and one of the ways we do that is through the reading of Scripture to celebrate uh, the diversity of cultures that we see in our congregation, but also in our community. We live in a community that is a multitude of cultures, and so thank you for reading that uh, in, in beautiful language of, of Haitian Creole, and so uh, I do appreciate that. Um, again, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City in a Hill. just want to thank you again for being here. Such a such a joy to, to see all your faces this morning on a beautiful, beautiful, Sunday morning, and so um, I'm glad that you guys uh, are, are here this morning. Um, a couple of things before we get started: our vision as a church um, is for every person from every culture to experience the gospel, and so we believe that the gospel should be experienced personally. This ties uh, to our value of um, of the gospel that the gospel is good news. Uh, that, we, uh, sinners, that we are sinners; that we're messed up; that we every single one of us is strayed away from God's perfect design for us. But the good news is that God gave His very own Son. In in our place so that we can have life in him. And so anyone who wants to receive that can have that um, by simply trusting in Jesus. And if you've not done so, you can mark that connection card um, or you can just Grab one of our leaders after the service. We'd love to talk with you about how to do that. Uh, we believe the gospel also changes us as a people. Um, we experience the gospel as a community. God has brought people together from all sorts of walks of life and backgrounds and experiences together as uh, as the church. And so we experience this common unity together in Jesus, and we live this out in community groups, and then um, which I'll talk about in a minute, and then mission, that the good news is too good to keep to ourselves. We want our city to experience the gospel. We want our world to experience the gospel. And we do this through telling others about what Jesus has done for us, but also we do this through living lives shaped by what Jesus has done for us. We want to make our neighborhood the best place it can be, and we want to see others flourish and thrive. Again, that connection card I mentioned a minute ago, if you're a guest, we'd just love to get to know you for filling out that card either online or in person. And you can drop that in the basket that'll come around in a little bit. Uh, We'll have a couple of free gifts for you. Uh, We'll have a free ebook as well as a gift card to, in my opinion, the best coffee shop in Boston, right around the corner. Nebraska that you can uh, enjoy. So uh, be sure to fill out that uh, that card. Uh, a few announcements before we jump into the text this morning. Uh, the next two Sundays, so not today, but the 12th and the 19th, uh, we're going to be having a community group sign-up. So community groups are groups of 8 to 12 adults who get together to study the Bible, uh, get together to just kind of encourage one another, but also love and serve our neighbors. And so um, we're kicking off new groups this fall, so everybody needs to sign up for a group, uh, even if you've been in one in the past. And, and really would invite you, if you're... If you're just getting kind of connected. You're on the fringe. You're new with us this morning. This is a really good way to get to know some people, and uh, uh, here in the in the city, but particularly here at City on a Hill. And so, we encourage you to sign up. We'll also that same Sunday have a couple of uh, newcomer uh, hangouts that 12th and the 19th. Basically a five minute snapshot of who we are as a church, and we'll have a free gift for you that morning. Th- that morning for doing so, and then next Sunday we are actually going to celebrate our one year anniversary as a gathered church. Uh, which can I get a, get excited? It's okay. Uh, um, <laughs> Um, that's exciting. Now, about half that time, we were on lockdown. And so that's an incredible story of how God has been faithful to us as a church. But we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate all that God's done. there might be cake. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, so we're going to enjoy that together. All right. So when you hear uh, the word city, what comes to mind? When you hear the word city, what do you imagine? You probably imagine maybe buildings. You imagine concrete and and, or, or commerce, or maybe you think of traffic when you think of the city. So you think of something very, you know, conceptual or maybe, or, or concrete, but maybe it's something conceptual. Maybe it's, you think of the city and you think, man, it's expensive. It's expensive to live here in Boston. Uh, maybe you think about the excitement that comes with living in a city or just the experiences that you can have in a city, but there's nothing like the city. The city is just incredibly unique. And I think about the first time that I went to a major city uh, as, as a teenager. I just graduated high school and went to New York City for the first time. And so you take a kid from Alabama, drop him off in New York City. And I have no clue what to do. I'm like buying fake Rolexes from the guy in Central Park. I, you know, I'm doing all the stuff that you're supposed to. I bought an I Love New York t-shirt that shrunk 18 sizes too small the first time I watched it. Like I did all the New York City stuff. But there's something about the city that is just, just, just lively. Uh, and when we think about a city, a city is not just buildings, it's not experiences. It's really a large population of people. It's a population center where people's lives are constantly intersecting, where people are living and working and playing. And there's almost as if the city itself has life. Uh, St. Augustine, the great African um, bishop back in the fourth century said, he said, every city is a living body. Every city is a living body. And we see this, anytime you go into a city, you just see vibrancy. You can just go to downtown crossing or for the financial district and you just feel the buzz that happens. And if, or if you go to even a larger city, you just feel like the city itself is alive. It's because of the people who are in that place. And really, you can imagine, kind of describe cities in two ways. Cities are places that are highly dense. There's a density to cities. There's a people density in a city. In fact, there's more image of God per square mile in a city than anywhere else on earth. But also there's a diversity. There's people from every walk of life that are drawn together in cities, every ethnicity, every culture, both the poor and the rich, the hopeful and the hopeless, all find their way into a city because there's something that draws us to cities. There's something that draws us there. Maybe it's opportunity, maybe it's education. Maybe it's the idea of wanting to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. But in the Bible, we actually see that the city was a draw for a different reason. A city was often a place of safety, was a place of refuge. The city on a hill imagery that we get our name from in Matthew chapter five would have really resonated with a weary traveler who was on the road and just longing for a good night's sleep. It would have resonated from the person running from trouble as a refugee that if they can just get to that light on top of the hill, they're gonna be okay. And I believe people are still fleeing toward and going toward cities. And in fact, the latest study shows that about 50% of people across the world live in cities of more than a million people. And studies actually show that if the, the trend continues, that within the next 100 years, 80% of people on earth will live in a city of more than a million people. And I believe that God is doing this for a reason, to bring people together to, to join him in his work. And I believe that God's mission to make the world new happens most effectively through cities. I think this is where the greatest impact for renewal can happen. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring the idea of renewal. We started with how the gospel renews us personally as we apply the work of Christ to every area of our life. It shapes us and makes us new. Last week, we talked about how as the church, as, as God's people called together, as God is making us new together, he does something unique in us that creates this synergy and this movement And what happens is that I believe that as a group of people are called together, God's stirring us up, it can only affect our city. If God is working in the church, he will work through the church to shape and change our city. So our faith must shape us to the point that it drives us into the public square. That our faith is not just something simply private, but something that is meant to shape the very culture we live in. Tim Keller says that the active presence of a substantial number of genuine Christians Thus changes a community in all its dimensions, economic, social, political, intellectual, and more. I believe we are called to make Boston the best place it can possibly be. All the neighborhoods surrounding Forest Hills, Jamaica Plain, Roxbury, West Roxbury, Dorchester, Hyde Park, Mattapan, we are called to make these places great places to live. And I believe if we're going to do that, I believe if the gospel is going to shape our community, shape our city, we have to have two priorities toward the city correct. First, we need to see the city rightly and we need to seek the city rightly. We need to see the city with God's eyes. We need to see the city rightly. This is the second sermon in this series through uh, Jeremiah. And I believe there's a reason for that because Jeremiah is writing to a people in a city who have lost all hope. The people of God have been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon. And we talked a couple couple of weeks ago about how God can bring flourishing in our lives, even in hard circumstances, even in hard places. He can do this in us personally, but I think he also does that to the very places we live. So uh, the first 28 chapters of Jeremiah are just doom and gloom. Everything is horrible. Everybody's having an awful time. They don't like being in Babylon and they want to get out as fast as they possibly can. And verse 29, or chapter 29 actually is kind of a turning point. It's a turning point for the people of God in this place where Jeremiah begins to cast a new vision for what flourishing in this place can look like. They, these people had felt like there was no purpose for them there. They felt hopeless in Babylon. But that what, what we begin to see is that they were seeing their time in Babylon incorrectly. They had a wrong view of Babylon. In fact, if you look at chapter 28, there was a false prophet uh, named Hananiah who said, you know what, you guys are only gonna be here for two years. Don't even unpack your bags. Don't put anything on the wall. Don't get too comfortable. Don't don't build friendships. You know, we're gonna be out of here in no time. Keep your head down, keep your nose clean. Everything's gonna be good. But in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah lets them know God has a different plan for you. In fact, God has sent you to this place. God sent them. Verse 4, says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They were not in Babylon by accident because God does not make mistakes. God does not sin. You know, with sin, the word literally means to miss the mark. As if you're shooting at a target and you miss the mark. And so surely they're imagining, God, you have missed the mark on this one. You messed up. You, you, you had to have made a mistake to draw me to this place because and us to this place because there's no way we could possibly thrive in this place, much, late, much less make this a place that our kids could thrive. Why are we here? And whether you grew up in Boston or you moved here, you have probably felt at some point, man, why am I here? This place gets cold. It gets expensive. You know, why am I here? Jackie Hill Perry wrote this incredible new book about holiness and how holiness leads, understanding God's holiness leads us to trust him. She says, if God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? We can trust that God has placed us exactly where he wants us because he's a good God. He wants what's best for us. And that means that if you are in Boston, you are not here by accident. God has you here. He has you here for a purpose. And I actually believe he has you here for your good, but not just for your good, but for the good of the city of Boston. In verse seven, it says, for in its welfare, talking about the city of Babylon, you will find your welfare. You will find your good there. What the way that they see the city and the way that we need to see the city has to change. They saw the city as somewhere to pass through. They saw this city as somewhere to avoid, somewhere that they don't wanna get too tainted by and we wanna wanna get out of here as fast as we possibly can. But God says, no, this is the very place that you're gonna thrive. This is the very place that if you give yourself to and if you press into, I'm gonna do work in you that you can never possibly imagine. And I believe that today, the way that we as the church see the city has to change. Because you want to know the least represented group by percentage in cities is people who believe the Bible. It's Protestants. It's people who who say, I believe the scriptures and I believe in Jesus alone. If you look at the percentages, they don't match up. Austin, Bible-believing Christians flee the city for a number of reasons but we may be running from the very people that God is sending us to. Now, look, I'm not saying that every single person is called to live in a city forever. That is legalistic. Um, and listen, and, and I could not, I'm not going to sit up here and shame everybody, because shame's a terrible motivator. But I do believe that God is calling us to cities. Ronald Sider, who's a professor in Philadelphia, said if 1% of Christians in America moved into cities and committed to stay, there would be a monumental shift in the city. Christians historically have been at the forefront of social change. Adoption agencies, the modern idea of a hospital were all invented by Christians living out the implications of their faith in population centers. We could do incredible things if we said we are going to commit ourselves to the city. But before we do that, we have to see the city like God does. Does your heart reflect God's heart for the city of Boston? Are, Are you broken for it? Do you see the neighborhoods around Forest Hills like God does? Is your heart break like in Jonah 4, where God said that he had compassion for the great city Nineveh, meaning the people of the city of Nineveh? Now, to see the city rightly, you have to do this two ways. You have to see the good in the city. We live in a good city. We live in a great place. In fact, in fact, God is, Jeremiah is even saying this about Babylon in verses five and six. They almost read like a real estate ad. Build homes here, live in them. You can have a garden. Your kids can live here. Your grandkids can live there. You're gonna love it there. We've all seen that real estate ad that kind of oversells the place, right? It's like, this is an artisanal breakfast nook. It's like, no, it's like a one foot cutout in your kitchen, you know? It's cozy personal space. That's called a closet. like, you know, we've all seen those. We feel like maybe God's overselling this a little bit. But what's he saying? He's saying you can flourish in this place. You need to see that you can build a home that's safe and warm. You can have your family grow here and you can grow exactly in the place where you didn't think you could. Why do we see the good in cities? Because there's a lot of good in cities. In fact, if you look at the Bible kind of in an inverse way, Revelation 18 actually talks about some of the good things that were happening in Babylon. Now, there's some bad stuff, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Babylon, especially in the book of Revelation, is is kind of this this picture of of the symbol for the city of man and this broken humanity, and that the city of God is is God's future city. We'll talk about that in a little bit, kind of invading that. But if you look at the destruction of Babylon, you actually see some good things that are listed that are going to cease in that city that I think we experience and will experience even in the new creation. This is in verse 22, and the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters. There's culture in cities. Verse 22 again, and the craftsmen of any craft, and a little further, and the sound of the mill, there was ingenuity and technology that came out of that city. And the light of a lamp will shine. That's a place, this is a place of safety. Verse 23, in the voice of the bridegroom and bride, there's relational joy. You just meet people in cities. There's just more people to have relationships with. Again in verse 23, for your merchants were the great ones on the earth. This is a place of commerce and influence. These are not bad things. There's a lot of good in the city of Boston. There's a lot of good right here in this neighborhood. Think about the education that comes out of this city. There are over 200 colleges and universities in the city of Boston. One in six sitting world leaders were educated right here in this city. It's a generally safe city. We're on the cutting edge of technology and medicine. The COVID the vaccine response, a lot of that was led from this very city. We live in a city that cares about the poor, it cares about uh, justice and equity. We live in a fun and vibrant and weird neighborhood. Just last night, We're sitting there, I told you this was gonna come into the sermon, just last night, we're sitting at the Greenwall's house, we're watching an Auburn football game, but all of a sudden, four women would look like baby cages just barrel barrel into the backyard. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm so confused right now. And this is like the bunny brigade. These are people, like apparently release rabbits, like domestic, domestic rabbits into the wild, into the neighborhood. These people find out about them and they spend their time going around and looking for them. And they, and they cornered this, this bunny in the corner of the yard and they pick it up. And I'm like, we live in the weirdest but coolest neighborhood ever. Like, th- I was like, this is a fun place to live. We have food, we have festivals. I mean, like just, just this past week, I, was, I met a guy, if you've ever seen the mural at uh, Jackson Square, there's a mural that says, huge mural. I met that guy this week. He's looking actually to put a, a You Are Loved mural in Jamaica Plain and actually comes out of his, out of his Christian faith. We live in a really, really good city and there's so many good things we need to see about our city and I'm not saying our city's perfect but there's blessings in the midst of this broken city but it is a broken city. We have to see what's not right as well. We have to see what's good but we also have to see what's not right. In verse seven, it talks about seeking the welfare of the city. We seek the welfare of the city because not everything is well. Not everything is right. If you read the rest of Revelation 18, we see that Babylon was also a place of injustice, evil, and bloodshed. And the welfare that was to come, this shalom, this idea of wholeness and harmony and flourishing, we have to see that there are places in our city where people are not flourishing. There are things and systems in our city that are broken. There's disparity in our city that has not been addressed. You look at Boston, Boston is still a city that struggles with racial injustice. A study a couple of years ago showed that on average, um, Boston is in like the top one or two cities where black people feel the least comfortable compared to other parts of, this, of, the, of the country. We still have a, a, a inequity. There's a very large racial wealth gap in our city. We see the housing crisis. Just go down to Mass and Cass and see the drug epidemic in our very own city. See, if we only see the good in a city, then we're just going to tuck our head and we're going to ignore the things that are wrong. We're going to turn away. We're going to use the city. But if we only see what's wrong, then all we're going to do is we're going to run from it and we're going to avoid it. We're going to be a critic from a distance. But we need both to see Boston and to see the the neighborhoods around Forest Hills as God sees them. Do you see your neighbors with the compassion and heart that Jesus does? Do you see others as beautifully made in the image of God? We need to ask God for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to be broken for our city, to see it the way that he does. Secondly, we have to seek the city rightly. We need to see the city and then seek the city rightly. Jeremiah's point in Jeremiah 29 is that you, look, guys, we're gonna be here a while. We're not gonna be here for two years. We're gonna be here for 70 years. So you better get comfortable. Verse six, he says, you're gonna have kids. Your kids are gonna get married and then they're gonna have kids. So you're gonna have kids. You're gonna have grandkids. So you better figure out how to make this a good place for them too. He's saying to them, he's saying, I need you to dig deep roots in this place, but don't forget who you are. Dig deep roots here, but don't forget who you are. Who you are? There, there's, a, there's a third way between assimilation and avoidance. Invest, be all in, but be distinctive. Verse four, he's, he's sending them as his people. Again, he says, uh, "The Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I am sending." He is still their God. There, they're clearly being sent as God's people. One way that we seek rightly is to be a faithful presence that represents God well. Verse five, we see that they're to build houses and to live in them. Now, we can't take the application from that too seriously because not everybody can buy. Boston's a really hard place to live. And again, not every single person in this room is gonna live in Boston for two years, three years, five years, 10 years. Like, I don't know what God may do in your life. But the the key here is while you're here, be all here. Be there. He's saying commit to this place. Duke Quan is a pastor, a missiologist in Washington, D.C., and he talks about the importance of churches having buildings, like historic church buildings in the cities, because everything's constantly changing. You go into a city, everything's moving, things are being changed, they're being renovated, people often move out. And he says the permanence of a, of a, a church building, being able to look and see this building, gives people hope that maybe there's something that's unchanging. I think in the same way, the people of the church can be that type of presence in a neighborhood. What if people could look at city on a hill and they could say, those people are for for our neighborhood. Those people are steady. Those people are faithful. Those people are different. We need to be a church that's committed to stay long enough to make an impact. In verse five, we also see that there is really community development, They're making this a beautiful place. They're building houses and they're living in them. They're decorating. They're putting stuff on the walls. They're putting paint on the wall. It says that they were called to plant gardens. This is agriculture. They're providing for themselves and for others. And plants take time. It's saying, make this your own place. So much so that you don't decrease, but you increase in this place, that your presence and your influence increase in this place to the point that people start to notice. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point. He said there are three main rules to leading to broad change and what we mean by that is renewal. God making things new, the gospel going forth in a place. And uh, and he says the first is the law of few. This This is the early adopters. Um, this is you. If you're a part, a part of a church plant, you're like an early adopter. You're like, I'm getting in on the front level. Uh, it's, it's not like Bitcoin. I'm sorry, there's not going to be a huge earthly return one day, but there's a heavenly return. So, we'll, we'll, you know, that's good. Um, and so, this, these are pioneers. These are people who step in and say, we're going to be the few who count the cost. We're the few who say, we're going. We believe God's going to do something here. And then he says the second rule is the stickiness factor. There's something about the community. There's something about the movement. There's something about the idea that people are just drawn to. And for us, I believe that's the culture we talk about building, this gospel culture where we're embodying and living out the love, hope, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus to each other and to others. I believe that's attractive. I believe that's sticky. And then thirdly, he says the power of context that we're in a place and we understand our environment and we understand how to communicate that message to our friends and neighbors. And he goes on to say if you want to bring a fundamental change in people's belief and behavior, you need to create a community around them where those new beliefs can be practiced and expressed and nurtured. Guys, that's the church. The church is the place where we can practice the gospel. We can remind each other that we've been forgiven by Jesus, where we can live out of the hope we've received. And what begins to happen is that others begin to see that. What begins to happen is that begins to push us towards our neighbors. It causes us to want to be a faithful presence. And what it does is it encourages others that they can thrive and that they can have hope too. Philip Ryken says that these verses teach the importance of daily family life for the redemption of the post-Christian city. The Hebrews probably gave hope to their Babylonian neighbors, their Babylonian neighbors who are struggling, who don't have a God that they're turning to—an eternal good God who have made the city their ultimate hope for longing and desire to be fulfilled, they look at these Hebrews whose ultimate hope is not the city, and it gives them hope. We had a neighbor not long ago say, man, I can't believe you guys have four kids in a two-bedroom apartment. It actually gives us hope that we could do it too. We give people hope. So how do we live as a faithful presence? First of all we gotta get involved. We gotta be involved in our neighborhood. Gotta be involved. I mean, look, whatever you like doing, get involved in doing it here. You know, join a sports league. Join the neighborhood association. If you got kids, get on the PTA. Um, city on a Hill. We have tons of neighborhood initiatives to serve different entities in our city. And, and consider jumping into those next week. We're going to have signups not just for community groups, but also for ways for you to serve. Invest. Spend time here. Work. Rest. Play in this place. Give your heart to the city. Maybe even pray about being here long-term. Maybe your plan has not been to be in Boston long-term. You're here to get an education or work a job. Maybe pray about staying a little bit longer. Again, not everyone's going to do that, and that's okay. But what if God wants for this church to be here long-term to see a community of people over the next 10, 20, 30 years give our lives to the city for the sake of making Jesus known? But it's not enough just to love our neighborhood. It's not enough just to want to be a good citizen in the city of Boston. We have to be for the city's renewal in a distinctively Christian way. There are, I'm sure there were lots of people in Babylon who organized uh, community events. I'm sure there are lots of people who coached Little League and, and cleaned up and fought injustices. I'm sure there were lots of people who did that, but for, for them, they were called to live distinctively as God's people. We are called to love and serve Boston distinctively as followers of Jesus. And one way way that we do that is we pray for our city. Pray for the Lord on its behalf. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. We pray for the city of Boston. In fact, this is the only time in the Old Testament where God called his people to pray for their enemies, to pray for that city. Because just like Babylon, Boston is not always going to love you. It's not always gonna love us as the church. It's not always gonna be easy to live here, but we are still called to love and bless and serve the neighborhoods around Forest Hills. We're to pray that it would be like, the Lord's prayer says it would be like on earth like it is in heaven. And when it comes to praying for the city, I think we see a pattern in Psalm 122, verses 6 through 9, where God is telling them to pray for Jerusalem. And I would imagine this would be a similar prayer that the Hebrews would have prayed for Babylon, but also I believe that we can pray for our city, Boston. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. We see several different things from that passage of ways we can pray. We can pray for the economic good of our city, justice for the poor, for fair systems. We can pray for safety. We can pray uh, for for our political leaders, for wisdom and integrity and virtue. We can pray for the people themselves that they would flourish. But we do all of this in order, in, in seeking their welfare, in order to point to a better city to come. The point is something better than we could ever experience here on earth because the goal is not a utopian Boston. But it's a city above, Hebrews 11. But, at, but at, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. What's that mean? It means that our lives are meant to give a glimpse of the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. That there's a city waiting for us that one day God will be with his people. This new redeemed city where all injustice is undone, where all, every tear will be wiped away, where there will be this perfect vision of God's people enjoying and flourishing in him. We invite others to see that Jesus is good. And when we love our city well and we bless our city, when we seek the welfare of our city, we're pointing people to Jesus who is the true safe place. We're pointing people to Jesus who is the true place where life can be found. We point people to Jesus who truly leads to flourishing peace and joy. I want us, a city on a hill, to experience renewal personally and as a church so that our city can be transformed by the hope of the gospel. And as that happens, God pushes us towards our city and calls us to love our city in the same way that God has loved us. And here's the unique thing that happens it's not just us wringing ourselves out in our own energy and, and never being able to get any sort of rest or renewal ourselves, but when we do live for the good of others, something unique happens. God grows us. At the end of verse 7, again, it says that, um, it says that, in, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. As we join God in making all things new, he makes us new. When we serve at English High School or at the Housing Authority or one of our neighborhood initiatives, it actually gives us life. There's an old saying that energy begets energy. The way that you create energy is you you create energy. And so sometimes we feel tired because we just give ourselves to the wrong things. When we're physically tired, we think, "I, I just need to not do anything in order to get energy back. But I think that our lives bear out that that doesn't really work. In fact, there was a 2017 study that says that Netflix is making you tired. Netflix is the culprit. It did it because binge watching, which if we're all honest is what we do when we're tired, we binge watch. Like, of course I need to watch 38 episodes of British Bake Off. Like, you know, why why would not I do that? We think we need to do that, but study shows that the, the study showed that that actually leads to a decreased quality of sleep and a higher level of fatigue. And you know, you know what they said you need to do? Go for a walk, go for a hike, go throw a ball, do something outside. In the same way, if we give ourselves to the right things and we join God on his mission, his activity, we find our welfare, we find our strength. We find our shalom, we find our peace when we seek the good of others. In fact, if you look, there's a graph that may have already been thrown up on the screen, but uh, there's a graph you'll see here, the idea of how mission and renewal work together. As we apply the gospel to all things, we apply the way to the idea of how we're made new, of how God gives us life. It actually begins to send us towards God's mission that we seek the renewal and the good of our city and our neighbors. And what happens as we do that is it causes us to long for God to make us new. And as we apply the hope of Jesus that the promises that his mercies are new each morning and that his His yoke is easy and his burden is light, God makes us new. Mission is where God grows us and makes us new. So how does your approach to renewal for the city need to change? How does your approach to Boston need to change? Maybe you just need to see the good in the city. Maybe you kind of got one foot in, one foot out, you, you kind of, you're throwing rocks at, at the city like a critic. Maybe you just need to see what's good here. Maybe you're on the other side. You need to see what's wrong. You've kind of just bought all in. You've drank the Kool-Aid. Maybe you need to critically engage with the eyes that God gives us. You need to critically engage with the hope of Jesus. How do you need to seek the Boston's welfare? What, what's one step that you could take this fall for you to seek the good of our neighborhood? Maybe it's serving. Maybe, maybe it's praying about being here for the long haul. Or maybe you need to find shalom for yourself. You've been looking for true peace and true joy in everywhere else. Maybe you've even looked for it in the city of Boston thinking, you know, if I can get here and I can get the right job and the right opportunity and the right relationship and the right experience that I'm finally gonna fi- find that inner peace. But the point of this, of this passage is not that we do something for God, but that God is with us. The truth through this entire passage is that God is with his people. And for some of you, maybe this morning, you need to experience that for the first time. You need to trust that Jesus gave his life for you so that you could have life in him. And we'd love to talk with you about how to enter into that relationship. God is near to those who love him and we join him on his mission to make all things new. Let's pray.